0: Good morning. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving this week. Um, For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Jason Brushwood, and I'm one of the elders uh, here at Boulevard. Doug, who is our senior pastor, he is um, currently on vacation. He decided to take vacation this week. So uh, if you think of it, please be in prayer for him. And... um, as, as, uh, as you think of them. So for this morning's text, I would like you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, or I'm sorry, 1 through 17. We're going to be focusing on Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And before I um, engage in the text and, and read the text, I would just like to say that um, after next month, I will no longer be an, be an elder here because I rotate off and, and everything. And I just want to say uh, that thank you, church. Um, uh, you guys have blessed me so much uh, with just the uh, opportunity and the privilege just to serve um, at, as one of your shepherds here. And so I, you guys have blessed us when Jennifer was going through uh, her cancer And uh, battling through that, you guys surrounded us and loved on us, and uh, you guys just mean so much to us and our family, and so I want to thank you uh, for that. Okay, Romans 8, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, "There uh, "'There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.'" If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, or let me correct that. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, uh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you open our minds and our ears, that we may hear your word. I ask, Father, that, 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 that you uh, would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict and encourage our hearts that we would grow in our understanding and knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great salvation, and that through that understanding, we may glorify You more. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. The biblical promise of assurance is a unique privilege. It, 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 It is a unique privilege among the world religions. Sadly, Um, It is not always found among every Christian tradition uh, to the point uh, and uh, among every Christian uh, tradition to the point where in some cases it is actually forbidden. One theologian said, the acid test of any version of Christianity is its attitude towards assurance. Assurance of salvation must not be confused with salvation itself. One can be saved in Christ without having the assurance of, 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 of salvation. Equally, one can have assurance of salvation without being saved. Now, assurance springs not from the power of us of our positive thinking or, or thinking, hey, don't worry. We'll be okay. But rather, assurance comes to us By the power of the gospel, it comes uh, from truly understanding and trusting in the work that has been done for us in Christ. You know what we call that? We call that faith. The very nature of faith or trust in the gospel promises and implies confidence. And assurance is, is part of that experience of trusting in the promises of a trustworthy God. So faith takes God at his word, being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised to do. And so this morning, we are going to look at three promises or truths of God that we can cling to that gives us Christian assurance, that gives us assurance that we will be redeemed, that we will be with him, that our sin has been forgiven that we are not condemned and so and so the first of which uh, a point is is that i would like to make here is that we see that assurance comes from faith in the applying work of the spirit look at verses one through four there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus Paul makes here one of the sweetest declarations of all of Scripture in verse 1, when he declares, there is therefore, uh, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say that one more time. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Right. Now, most of us hear that and we think that there is no condemnation because Christ has been judged for your sin. And that's true. If you are Christ, then you are not going to be condemned for your sin because Christ was condemned for you. But that's not all. Sin is condemning, not merely because you are guilty, but rather sin is condemning because you were condemned and ruled by it. You see, apart from Christ, the dominion of sin reigned over you. You could only sin. You could only disobey. Christ broke that power. Christian sin's power was put to death as Christ died on the cross for all who trust in him. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ because both the guilt and the power of sin have been dealt with by Christ. What great news is this Christian You are no longer under the guilt of sin, but but not only that, you are no longer under its power. So how is it that we are freed from sin's power and reign over us? Well, it is because a change has has taken place. For we have been liberated from this reign of sin. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here, Paul introduces the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing liberation. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, the law of sin and death, I believe what Paul is referencing here, is our enslavement to sin under the Mosaic law. You see, the law could, could only tell us what God required of us, but it could not change us. It could not justify. It could not make us righteous. The law could never break the power of sin. The law could only sh- show our need for a Savior, but it could not save. Listen to Paul in chapter 7, verses 7 through 13, where he says, where he says this, he, he says, what what then shall I say that that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin seizing, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all types or all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment uh, might become sinful beyond measure. Now man is under the dominion of the flesh. Man took the command of God. and, and And because man is hostile... Uh, uh, to God, man did the very opposite of the Lord's commands. I need you to understand this Uh, because Christ's enemies and all who never embrace the gospel miss this point. We are powerless under the dominion of the flesh to obey the law of God. The law can only condemn us. Those who think they, they can accomplish the law while still under the reign of sin and death can can only sin when they try to obey the law of God. This is why the gospel is so offensive to those who are dead because it tells them two things. First, it tells them that they are unrighteous and condemned for their disobedience to the law of God. secondly, it tells them that they are powerless in themselves to do anything about it. We cannot in ourselves free ourselves from the slavery of flesh, the slavery of sin and death. So the law, so the law is the law of sin, of sin and death. It cannot justify. It cannot bring peace with God. It can only condemn. While, while on the other hand, the law of the spirit of life does the opposite. It brings life for the spirit of God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. It is the spirit who reaches out and administers and applies all the blessings and benefits of being in Christ. It is the spirit that removes us from being under, under the reign of death to under God's reign of life and righteousness. So it is the Holy Spirit that takes the atoning work of Christ and applies it to you, believer. Look at the middle of verse 3 and 4. This is what Paul says. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Paul is conveying a glorious reality here. He is saying that that for the believer, God did what the law could not do. He is saying that God sent his son who became fully man and yet remained fully God. and and condemned sin through his perfect obedience, even obedience to death on a cross. Therefore, those who, who have placed their faith in Christ fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, not because of their obedience, rather because of Christ and his obedience. The glorious truth, Christian, is that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us because we are in him. And because we are in him, we are free from the law of sin and death. This is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5:21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or in Romans 5:19 where he says, for for as by one man's disobedience referencing Adam the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, referencing Christ, the many were made righteous. This imputed righteousness is is why Paul can say thanks be to Jesus Christ towards the end of chapter 7 when he is describing the unbeliever's burden of trying to be justified under the law. Did you, did you also pick up how this work is also Trinitarian? You, you got the Holy Spirit who frees us from the law of sin and death and placing us in Christ. You have the Father sending the, the Son and then you have the Son condemning sin in the flesh through obedience and His atoning work. Wow, in my book, that's awesome. Christian, my hope is that you lay hold of this that you marvel at this reality, that you glorify your God. You see, some of you live under the fear of condemnation, and you paralyze yourself from, from work for the kingdom because you fail to trust in the work that has been done for you. You fail to lay hold of this truth. Christ has redeemed you, both from the guilt of sin and also from its power. Some of you beat yourself up over past sins thinking your misery is some type of penance. Let me say this as nice as possible. If if this is the way that you think and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, stop it. Stop thinking that you can earn favor with God because you cannot do it. Right standing before God has been done for you. For God did it for you. For, for the Father orchestrated it, and Christ ex- executed it, and the Holy Spirit applied it to you. Therefore, believer, you are no longer under condemnation, you are no longer under the law of sin and death, but rather you are under the law of the Spirit of life. May you cling to the reality, and may you worship God because of it. Which leads me to my second point this morning, which is assurance comes from faith that the Spirit has made us a new creation. Look at verses 5 through 11. For those who who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on, on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Here in these verses, we see Paul referencing two mindsets, a mindset without Christ and the other with Christ. Everyone in the world has one of these two mindsets. Paul tells us in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And then in verse 8, he tells us those who live according to the flesh are those in the flesh. This means that the realm in which they live is the realm of sin and death. They are governed by their sin rather than being governed by the Spirit of God. Paul uses this word flesh here to refer to their carnal appetites, to sinful desires, worldly pursuits, material pleasures, um, their secular beliefs. Their their minds are set on these things. They they have a worldly mindset, and, and they do not seek the things of God. Now, the phrase set their minds means to be absorbed with something, to focus sharply on something. It's not just that they have an occasional glancing at these fleshly things, but rather a a living a life with a mindset uh, uh, on the things of the flesh. Their whole life revolves around living for the things of this world. This, this describes every single unconverted person in the world. They live according to their flesh. Their mind is set on the things of the flesh. Now this mindset is impossible for a true believer to have. And it, 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 and it is completely opposite of what it means to be Christian. We, we, we see this stark contrast in the middle of verse 5 where Paul where Paul says uh, says this he says but those who live according to the spirit set their minds according to the things of the spirit Paul makes a clear distinction using the word but here to mark a stark contrast he is now referring to a believer and so the believer is the one who sets their mind on to the things of the Spirit, well, which are those things that belong to God. Such things as the kingdom of God, the Son of God, the Word of God, the truth of God, the, wor- the will of God. We, <laughs> therefore, we who are, who, who are according to the Spirit have a totally different mindset than those who are of the flesh. We see the world differently and have different affections and desires. The contrast could not be greater. Previously, uh, uh, we desired the things of the flesh, but now we desire the things of the Spirit. We cannot live, brothers and sisters, according to the flesh Monday through Saturday, and then live according to the Spirit on Sunday. When when we are born again, we are completely uprooted, replanted, and given a new mind, a mind in accordance with the Spirit. And because of this new mindset, we we have a totally new worldview and a totally new perspective on life, for we now see with a divine and, and eternal perspective that brings radical change in our lives. Not only are we given a new mindset, but through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are made more into the likeness of Christ. That is why Paul says in verses 9 through 10, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Paul calls the Holy Spirit here the spirit of Christ," in verse nine. Paul, Paul is communicating that the Holy Spirit and Christ are, are in perfect union with one another. Therefore, we have the Holy Spirit Therefore, to have the Holy Spirit and dwell in you is to have Christ in you. Therefore, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit changes us more. And more into the likeness of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Here's the question. What is the new creation? Well, the new creation is that we are being made in Christ's likeness. That is why Paul can say later on in in, in, uh, in verse 29 of this chapter, "For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers." You see, it is the Holy Spirit who comes to us as the, po- uh, um, as the power of the gospel, and takes us out of sin, uh, out, out of death and sin and regenerates us and gives us a new heart with new desires. He gives us a new mind and eyes and ears so, 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 so we can see and hear and taste Christ and his work. So, so, so that Christ's desires become our desires. For it is through, this, through the Spirit we experience something of Jesus' disposition, such as his, his kindness, his gentle care, his love in our lives, his desire to see God glorified and worshipped. And so as we continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit shapes our lives more and more, and Christ's desires become more and more our own desires. For those in Christ are being made more and more into Christlikeness because we have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can be assured that the Holy Spirit has the power to, uh, to change us into Christ's likeness. Why? Because he had the power to raise Christ from the dead. Which brings me now to my third point, which is this, which is, assurance comes uh, comes from faith that, that the Spirit has given us a new identity. So assurance comes from faith that the Spirit has given us a new identity. Let's look at verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the, by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So what we see here is that we have been given a new identity by the Spirit. And this identity is that we have received the spirit of adoption, therefore making us sons of God. Now in the first century, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his father to further his father's legacy and name and to inherit his estate. The, the adopted son was viewed no less than his non-adopted siblings, but often was held in the highest regard. So what Paul is saying is that, is that believer, you have received this spirit of adoption. Of adoption. And because you are of the spirit, you are a son of God. And a, and a son of God that, 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 that should herald god's name that should seek after his heavenly father's kingdom a son of god that has been given an eternal inheritance christian because of the work of the holy spirit god looks at you and he does it it, 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 and he looks at you the same way he looks at his very own he looks at you as he looks at christ as a fellow heir and the way that we know that we are His sons is that we have the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we are children of God by the fact that the Holy Spirit propels us to cry out, Abba, Father, which, which means dear Father. Now, now, now this, is, this is important uh Uh, because the Jews would have never addressed God as Abba, Father. Even today, they do not use it to address God. But you know who did? Jesus did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Gospel of Mark, just hours before suffering a horrific death on the cross on our behalf, Jesus cried out to God, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So the cry of Abba, Father, uh, that Paul is referring to is not some half-hearted cry. Rather, it is a cry from a child, from the child's depths of, of his heart to their father, who is their hope in the midst of suffering. And so believer, we can have assurance because we are we are god's children and god is our loving father and he will not forsake us so here is the questions before us this morning do you have the spirit of christ within you this morning have you trusted in christ alone for your salvation do you live according to the spirit Do you have the mind of Christ? Do you seek to honor God and see Him glorified? Does your heart cry out to Him, Abba, Father? Do you long to to worship Him and to see Him worshipped? If you answer no, then you are of the flesh and you are condemned, hostile to God. And all that awaits you is not life and peace with God, not loving affection from a heavenly Father, not, not a blessed hope of eternity free from sin and death, but what awaits you is death, ruin, and misery. Because a day is coming where, when God will judge and pour out his eternal and unrelenting wrath on the wicked for their unrighteousness. And all those of the flesh will be made to suffer eternally for their sin and rebellion. And so to to any of you who may be in the flesh this morning, who are condemned in your sin, I hold up to you Christ as your only hope. And I call on you and I plead with you to repent of your sin and believe and place your trust in him. Cry out to God for he is faithful and will save you. Now, if you answered yes to the questions above, then believer, may you rejoice. For because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we have been blessed with a great assurance that we are his and that we are no longer and that there will be no condemnation for us. For the Holy Spirit has, has freed us and has applied his atoning work uh, to us or Christ's atoning work to us. And he has made, and the Holy Spirit has made us a new creation and has given us new desires to love and glorify God and is making us more and more into Christ-likeness. Rejoice, Christian, for the Holy Spirit has given you a new identity. For you are now a child of the Most High God, an heir with Christ, and one day you will be glorified with Him. What an amazing salvation, what an amazing gospel, what an amazing God. Let us pray.